Good morning, and finally we're here, Resurrection Sunday in the year 2020. Today around the world, Christians are busy celebrating this auspicious day. In the UK, uh, many uh, believers will uh, share and indulge in chocolate eggs. Uh, my ch children certainly will, they've got a stack of them from different people and uh, they'll be uh, filling their boots in that respect. Um, but this isn't actually the only way that believers mark this occasion and I'm certainly thankful that uh, over the years uh, different traditions have accumulated all over the world from Latin America to Western Europe to uh, Eastern Asia. Um, apparently in, in Colombia it's usual to uh, feast on iguana and turtles and uh, uh, sort of gigantic rodents on, uh, on Resurrection Sunday. In, in Papua New Guinea uh, trees are decorated with tobacco and cigars and uh, apparently these are handed out at the end of the church services. Uh, while uh, in the Philippines after the church meeting um, apparently everyone heads to the beach, uh, uh, which sounds a, a great idea. Um, the variety and extent of these celebrations should leave us in no doubt as to the importance of this moment for believers. You know that people want to mark it in their own cultures. Um, and so the, the question is, why do Christians go to such lengths to enjoy this day? What exactly? are they remembering with such passion and deliberation? Now normally on Resurrection Sunday the uh, sermon would look at two specific types of passages. Um, the first uh, type is the look at the various eyewitness accounts of the event from the one of the uh, four Gospels. There would be discussions of the the Mary's looking to anoint Jesus's body and then finding the stone away, rolled away. There would be uh, uh, talks on John and Peter having this foot race to visit the empty tomb. Um, and uh, great fun can actually be had with the, the, the different reaction and the bemused disciples who didn't seem to expect Jesus to have risen again despite him uh, uh, saying it would happen. Uh, and uh, there's this kind of hide-and-seek Jesus who sort of comes into view um, at particular points in the narratives and then withdraws um, and uh, uh, there, there's, there's this feeling of uh, strangeness um, about the various encounters. Um, the second type of talk uh, would perhaps uh, take uh, some of the Apostle Paul's explanation of Jesus being back from the dead. The explanation in theological terms of why this was necessary and why it happened and why God put this particular plan into place and the richness of this historical event is exposed from the Old Testament prophecies uh, to um, the ramifications for the believers. And we find that Jesus's claims of divinity is exonerated. The fact that here's this Lamb of God that John the Baptist recognised on the streets and that those that trust in him uh, can uh, expect and relish the prospect of eternal life. However, today I thought we would do things a little differently 
um, it's not with just today in mind. Um, you see, the book of Acts, which comes after the gospel accounts in the New Testament, it tells us the first steps of the church after Jesus had left. You'd be forgiven looking at the disciples' track record for expecting it all to go terribly wrong the moment this uh, Messiah and rabbi left. Uh, the leader, this Jesus from Nazareth, seems to have left behind uh, an inadequate bunch of uh, misfits. Um, they were just great at being cowards, at being self-absorbed and of getting the wrong end of the stick. And the gospel accounts is full of them uh, uh, just, just not rising to the occasion generally. But the book of Acts suggests that something absolutely amazing happens. Jesus's work actually becomes more successful than ever it was. You see, instead of just being restricted to the nearby geographical area, this gospel, this good news, this message of the kingdom of God, it spreads like wildfire. Um, and so, we're going to be looking at um, a passage from the book of Acts today because as a church we will actually be moving through um, this book uh, with a Bible reading plan um, for the next 49 days. Um, this is going to be our soundtrack because there is this uh, 49 day gap between Resurrection Sunday and Pentecost. Uh, and, and, and so uh, this will be our, our new theme um, as even though we're separated by the restrictions of COVID-19 we can join together um, as a church and uh, enjoy the story in Acts um, and on our website there's the 49 day uh, reading plan that, that you can print out comes with a little bit of an explanation um, and I just really invite you to um, use it um, in your private devotions. I really found um, that the last reading plan was so helpful and uh, um, it became the sort of the high point of the day just to, to go through these different uh, uh, scriptures leading up to this Resurrection Sunday and, and so I really hope the same will be true um, as we look forward to uh, Pentecost Sunday on the 31st of May um, and as we read the different adventures and, and take in the uh, the importance of the, the Holy Spirit. Um, so with COVID-19 disrupting our usual plans for this time for outreaches and the big church day out and baptisms, um, I thought it'd be uh, great to create this degree of anticipation as, as we move from the resurrected Jesus to the arrival of the Good Counselor. Now, one of the very first miracles uh, his disciples did after Jesus left them was the healing of a beggar who had been born lame. Um, this guy that they, these disciples reached out to, had never walked, he'd never known sort of uh, mobility, um, but he was commanded to do so by a couple of ex-fishermen, very unlikely candidates to, uh, to bring something uh, um, restorative uh, to someone that was uh, um, sitting begging 
and astonishingly this man on the on the fringes of society unable to participate in any full sense with few prospects and little hope he springs to his feet and not just does that but he walks and praises god and this is beautiful moment of liberty and the um the the spiritual reality of the kingdom of god is uh lived out through this guy uh, uh um being able to walk um now this was done this miracle was done in the context of a highly developed uh religious society you know there was, there was a great emphasis placed on uh, religious duty and religious activity um and the Jews steeped in God's work, you know, familiar with much of the Old Testament, they should have instinctively recognized the power of God at work in uh, uh, this person that couldn't walk. You know, they, they should have recognized the power of the God of their forefathers, of Abraham and Isaac. They could ex be expected to um, hear and see this miracle and stroke their beards and, and nod sagely and, and collectively enunciate hallelujah to Yahweh because it was something that sort of was firmly within uh, 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 what they um, could be expected to witness as, um, as, as uh, followers of God. But the Jews doing the healing said that this supernatural event was not just done in the name of Yahweh, but the na done in the name of a carpenter's son, a carpenter's son from Nazareth, no less. And who ever heard of a carpenter's son being a supernatural bombastic house? It just wasn't right. Furthermore, Nazareth was kind of like the rough housing estate of the area it was uh, uh wandered elsewhere in scripture whether anything good can come from nazareth at all and yet this miracle is done in the name of someone from there and the religious leaders are deeply disturbed and they flounder at this miracle that is achieved through the name of a troublemaker that they executed as a blasphemer this is not the sort of context for a miracle that they were expecting and it doesn't just even stop there for these guys um, but it had implications that it had a reasoning that everyone needed to take account of and so the religious elite um, slightly irate at having to deal with this they haul up these ignorant commoners before them these ones that aren't familiar uh, with the intricacies of Old Testament law like they were. They weren't looked up to by the rest of the people for leadership as they were. And they make them give them an account of themselves. And, and we find this in Acts chapter 4 verse 1. While Peter and John, and these were the guys that um, saw this lame person walk. While Peter and John were addressing the people, the priests, the chief of the temple police and some Sadducees came up indignant that these upstart apostles were instructing the people and proclaiming that the resurrection from the dead had taken place in Jesus. They arrested them and threw them in jail until morning, for by now it was late in the evening. 
Many of those who listened had already believed in the message. In round numbers, about 5,000, the next day a meeting was called in Jerusalem. The rulers, religious leaders, religion scholars, Annas the chief priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, everybody who's anybody was there. They stood, Peter and John, in the middle of the room and they grilled them. Who put you in charge here? What business do you have doing this? With that, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, let loose, rulers and leaders of the people. If we have been brought to trial today for helping a sick man, put under investigation regarding this healing, I'll be completely frank with you. We have nothing to hide. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one you killed on a cross, the one God raised from the dead, by means of his name, this man stands before you healthy and whole. Jesus is the stone you masons threw out, which is now the cornerstone. Salvation comes no other way. No other name has been or will be given by, to us by which we can be saved. Only this one. They couldn't keep their eyes off them, Peter and John, standing there so confident, so sure of themselves. Their fascination deepened when they realised that these were two laymen with no training in scriptural formal education at all. They recognised them as companions of Jesus, but with the man right before them, seeing him standing there so upright, so healed, what could they say against that? And they sent them out of the room so that they could work out a plan and they talked it over. What can we do with these men? By now it's known all over town that a miracle has occurred and that they are behind it. There is no way we can refute that. As we read of the aftermath of the miracle, we too should be struck by the fact that it is very purposefully done to illustrate a single point. Yes, a man is wonderfully and gloriously healed he's restored into the middle of society he's suddenly uh, someone that's not the object of uh, scorn or charity but someone that can uh, 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 be helpful uh, and um, work um, and uh, engage with the normal things and uh, everyone is quite rightly filled with awe but more importantly um, Though this healing endorses a very singular teaching, just focus again on the fact that no one can pretend otherwise that this man who once couldn't walk is now dancing around like a lunatic. You know, he's, he's, he's just over the top with just praise and worship and jubilation and this makes it very hard to pretend that the words of the healer are rubbish. That um, they pronounced gobbledygook and uh, then something was um, uh, effectively restored. Peter and John are boldly teaching now that their teacher, Jesus Christ, this man who claimed to be the Son of God, he rose from the dead. Now they weren't talking about their brother's friend's cousin who worked next to someone in a fish and chip shop, but these guys had lived cheek to jowl alongside Jesus while he was regarded by most people as just another rabbi, just another person teaching. These disciples had seen him brutally condemned, tortured and murdered by his own people. And 
most incredibly, they had said, they had seen the empty tomb where Jesus' body had been laying. More than this, they had touched the resurrected Jesus. They had spoken to him, enjoyed conversations with him, enjoyed moments of his teaching. They had eaten with him. There's that wonderful barbecue fish dinner um, on the beach. They had eaten with a resurrected Jesus who was marvellously the same, yet also different in his new physical body. And they had learned that he was God the Son and that his whole earthly life had been with this focus of bringing salvation to those that trust in him. The entire revered Old Testament, these great books written by the likes of Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah, these were the shadows of the things that Jesus was to accomplish. These were the shadow of the things that Jesus was to bring to fulfilment. They pointed towards him at every page. All the old time religion that these scholars and Pharisees and Sadducees honoured, they were really a pathway leading up to this new thing. The rulers, elders and scribes were obviously very put out by such a novel teaching. This was something that they were incredibly uncomfortable with because it kind of um, undermined their current understanding. Now there was always going to be new imaginative teachings uh, at each stage. Uh, uh, not only does uh, the Bible record other false messiahs, but the, the first century Historian Josephus uh, details uh, uh, similar people who made false claims. But this one, this Messiah, this rabbi, his teachings were confirmed by miracles during his lifetime, by him being raised from the dead, and now by the healing of a lame person that could be easily and plainly verified by eyewitnesses who were there at the time and careful investigation as they spoke to the man and um, his family. And furthermore, these priests have been instrumental in the execution of Jesus. So you know what, they really would rather this wasn't true at all if it was okay for everyone else because suddenly um, they could see that they were guilty of harming someone that seemed to be indeed exactly who he said he was and finally and most damning of all lots and lots of people were hearing Peter and John's words as truth and were being filled with the Holy Spirit and becoming part of this rapidly growing Jewish sect you know this time um, with uh, Christianity uh, not that old already it had sort of 5,000 followers in the very heart of the Judaic capital Jerusalem and so they challenged Peter and John to reiterate the name they used in this wonder they said are you sure and just imagine being confronted by 
these men that they had looked up to all their life. You know, Peter and John had lived in a culture where the religious elite, these bastions of orthodox belief, these experts on scriptural interpretation, they're the ones that are saying, are you sure? What are you teaching? We do not recognise it as truth. These ones that they were surrounded by, that had all the power, they were supposed to be the wisest and most godly men in Peter and John's lifetime. They were powerful, they were influential, and they could make life extremely difficult. <laughs> I mean, after all, they'd kill Jesus. And Luke tells us, before these imposing and authoritative figures, Peter answers so very well. Without reluctance, pause or hesitation, Peter looks them directly in the eye and says his powerful act was done in the power of the very one that they had conspired against. The priests, scribes, rulers and elders had rejected Jesus, but Yahweh, the God of Abraham, and Isaac had Yahweh had used him to put in place the young long promised salvation of humanity and there's this wonderful sentence there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved by the healing may have been amazing but this mini sermon should knock us on our feet it should challenge us right where we are these two guys are saying that Jesus is the climax of God's plan to save all people that would believe. Eternal life is all and only about some guy called Jesus. Elsewhere in scripture we discover that Jesus' death was a means of sacrifice. This is not something we're over familiar with in the um, 21st century. But we looked at it in last Sunday's sermon um, about life is in the blood and that Jesus gave up his life, shed his blood um, to pay a price that we could never pay. A sacrifice was needed as man's evil, your and I rebellion, the, the tendency and inclination and repetitive behaviour of going our way. It has to be judged. You know, justice needs to be done. But no human could bear God's justice. But wonderfully, miraculously, thankfully, Jesus endures the fullness of God's wrath so that we don't have to. By rising from the grave, Jesus proves once and for all that the debt has been paid and that he announces freedom and life this morning on Resurrection Sunday for all that follow him, for all that trust him, for that all that take him at his word. So as these religious leaders struggle with this conspicuous miracle, with these untrained preachers and a a message that seems to be getting out of all their control, we should see that they aren't alone. All of humanity, through all time, through all history, is confronted by the same story. What are we going to make of it? What are we going to do with it? How are we going to respond to it? The clever will look at it and say, at best it's inaccurate or wishful thinking, and at worst it's fictitious, you know, it's completely made up and yet the lame man now stands in front of them. 
we live in modern times and if such a thing happened we today we could expose it to scientific scrutiny and and find the real truth but while such an objection may dismiss the incidents there are other things to explain there are other people that once were lame that now stand and proclaim that Jesus's name is still powerful each week uh, our church meetings are full of people who have had miracles happen in their lives each week uh, our church and ch other churches in Crawley when we're able to congregate together there are people that put their hands up and says I have seen God move through the power of Jesus's name the lost and the lonely and the despairing they have found forgiveness love and purpose what was once lost has now been found what they were uh, missing has now been included the injured and the sick have been healed and we have lots of occurrences in our own fellowship and in other fellowships just in Crawley let alone on a wider scale destructive lifestyle patterns have been decisively interrupted through this name of Jesus which strangely still seems powerful it is as if the bearer of the name is still alive and well and doing incredible things broken relationships that seemed irredeemable have been mysteriously mended boredom and cynicism have been inexplicably replaced by enthusiasm and optimism people have had unexpected ecstatic experiences something they didn't look for or want and yet were overcome uh, uh, by something larger than themselves without even a paracetamol in sight selfish and self-absorbed narcissists have been transformed into generous lovers of mankind and church meetings across the globe are full of people that have decided that Christianity is true because of a work of God in their own lives that the name of Jesus has brought about even if every Sunday only one person was in that bush barn praying and worshipping, you'd have to deal with the strange power that invisibly compels them, that causes them to testify. If you're familiar with our congregation, you'll know uh, that we have many that have come to faith through our fellowship, through the people there. And we keep reaching into the community and seeing lives changed. Each of those that we've baptised over our almost 15 years of uh, existence can point to moments when they believe God miraculously touched their lives. Moments where God intervened in something that was headed on a downward trajectory. And you know what? All have tried to resist this at some point all have tried to explain it away it is not easy and it is not fun always to stand up against selfish desire personal doubt atheistic tendencies uh, the authority of others the cynics and the skeptics which would dismiss our claims 
it's not easy to say some Jewish guy who walked the earth 2,000 years ago is saviour today. But yet again and again we are pulled back to the controversial truth that Jesus is the only way. That we have tried other ways and they have just ended in frustration and failure. But Jesus has changed things. And so today I declare on this Resurrection Sunday that he was indeed raised from the dead. And that trust in him brings eternal life. And that life isn't just something far in the distance but it starts now. It is life to the full in 2020. Along with all the Christians of the last 2,000 years, I declare that today we make the most of a glorious resurrection from the dead. It is a resurrection that is offered to all. And so we leave behind our rebellion, our sin, our depravity, our selfishness. We accept God's lordship and say his way is the true way. And that we don't know best, but he does. Do you know, in the last book of the Bible is uh, Revelation, and it's full of difficult imagery. But once uh, you find the reason for that imagery, it, it becomes incredibly powerful and potent and enduring. And uh, amongst all the other truth is the simple message that we are better off with Jesus. It says this in the message translation of Revelation chapter 22 verse 12 yes i'm on my way i'll be there soon i'm bringing my payroll with me i'll pay all people in full for their life's work i am a to z the first and the final the beginning and the conclusion how blessed are those who wash their robes the tree of life is theirs for good and they'll walk through the gates to the city but outside for good are the filthy curs the sorcerers fornicators murderers and idolaters all who love and live lies. I, Jesus, sent my angel to testify to these things for the churches. I am the root and branch of David, the bright morning star. Come, say the spirit and the bride. Whoever hears, echo, come. Is anyone thirsty? Come. All who will, come and drink. Drink freely of the water of life. There may be many other concerns that press in on us right now. And in that respect, COVID-19 is nothing new. Humanity has always battled with pestilence, famine, war and death. These things have always pressed in upon our frail bodies. However, ultimately... The best answer to this is Jesus. And the only question that really matters is that are we for Jesus or are we against him? Do we trust in him or, we have, we or have we dismissed him? His death and resurrection mean that freedom and liberation is offered to all. You know, this is an undiscerning gospel in that there is no one excluded from taking it up. It is the very answer to life that everyone seeks, that everyone attempts to answer through religion and self-discipline and hedonism. What is life about? 
And the answer is Jesus. His disciples knew it. That lame man that was healed knew it. Christians for 2,000 years have reiterated the same answer. The answer to life is Jesus. And so I invite everyone listening this morning to drink deeply of this water of life that is offered free of charge for the price that has already been paid. His name is Jesus and today we remember again that he rose again once and for all and he lives forever at the right hand of the Father and he is our advocate there. To embrace Jesus gives life to our souls even more so than water brings life to our bodies. As an act of response on this special day, let us pray together this. Heavenly Father, I confess I am a sinner. Please forgive me. I have faith that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died on that cross for me. Thank you that he rose again on the third day and I embrace the resurrected liberty that he freely gives believers. I surrender everything over to you, Lord, and I welcome the Holy Spirit into my life to make me holy too, to speak boldly and to be empowered for God's service. Amen.